Brilliant. Well, it's great to be, be, be here with you guys this morning. I wonder um, if I asked you to, to think back through um, your past, particularly think in terms of your, your childhood, um, about your favourite films, what would come to mind for you? Um, I'm a child of the 80s, and um, so for me, looking back, maybe I look back with rose-tinted glasses, but there were some fantastic films that came out in, in the 80s and the 90s um, for children. Um, here's a few of them, some of the Disney classics, uh, some of the best Disney cartoons ever made, The Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, and if any of you are child of the 80s like me, then it probably takes little more than uh, the mention of their name for their songs to suddenly become stuck in your head on repeat, and um, because you, you watched them so many times as you were, you were growing up. There were classics, we move on, like the Goonies um, and the Mighty Ducks, um, things like uh, Home Alone and um, Back to the Future and E.T. There was also the start of of huge franchises that are still going, like Toy Story. But one of my all-time favourite films was Hook. And I haven't watched it in years, but, but just thinking about it brings back those kind of happy memories of childhood for me. I have to admit that I used to find the, the beginning part when the children are taken a little bit on the creepy and the scary side. But after that, you know, it was this fantastic, fun adventure. Uh, for those of you who haven't had the, the chance to share in my joy of, of watching Hook, shame on you. And um, I encourage you to go out and find a copy as soon as you can. But it's, it's essentially just a, a new take on the story of Peter Pan. Uh, apart from the fact that Peter's grown up and he's left Neverland and he's become a lawyer and he's completely forgotten that he was ever Peter Pan in the first place. Uh, and then his children are kidnapped by Captain Hook. And he's forced to go back to Neverland to try and rescue them. But he still refuses to believe that he was ever Peter Pan. And then there's this scene as the lost boys try and and help him to remember. There's this scene as they all sit down together at this, this long table to eat. And Peter watches as dish after dish is brought out. And you, you can see the steam coming off of it and you can, you can see as they kind of smell and they sniff and they have this anticipation at the food that's coming and what's inside. But there are lids on top and so you can't actually see the food just yet. And the lost boys then they all start pulling the lids off and digging in and enjoying it. And you hear all these oohs and these ahs as they enjoy this incredible feast. But Peter, he looks on in disbelief. You see... Unlike in this picture that you can see here, I know it's a bit fuzzy, it's going back in time, resolutions weren't so good back then. But it, it, when Peter saw this, every single dish was empty. There was nothing there. They were just pretending it was all a game. And they keep telling him, dig in and, and eat, enjoy the food, it's fantastic. And Peter just gets more and more frustrated until he loses it. And then in the middle of this argument, this moment comes where Peter picks up a spoon and and he he pretends to stick it in a dish and flick this food at the face of Rufio who he's arguing with. And to his amazement, this colourful splodge of food appears on Rufio's face. And in a matter of moments, dishes that had appeared empty suddenly show themselves to be full of the most amazing food and he suddenly sees the feast and the banquet that's in front of him that the lost boys are already enjoying. It's roast meats and huge cheeses and all sorts of puddings and amazing colours. Yeah, the, the amount of icing they must have used is incredible. 
In the time when Peter's children had been kidnapped, and he's frustrated at people trying to make him be someone he doesn't think he is, he gets this moment of rest where he gets to sit down at this feast. And then as he sits down at the food, it appears that even in that he's been abandoned. The promised provision isn't there. The dishes are empty. But then the incredible happens as he starts to believe, he discovers that despite what he first thought, he hadn't been abandoned. And in this moment of need, there is the most abundant provision imaginable. There's this great feast before him. And I want you to try and just picture this abundant feast and to keep it in mind. You know, for some of you this morning, you're well aware of how God has blessed you and has provided for you. But there may be some of you who feel like the dishes are empty. And that you don't have what you need. And you feel like you've, you've been maybe abandoned. And, you know, and as we turn to Psalm 23 together again this morning, you know, my, my prayer is that we will discover together a new perspective on who God is and what it is that he's offering to us today as he prepares a lavish feast of his provision and invites us to come and dine with him. Why don't we start as we started each of these messages by looking at Psalm 23 and reading it together. The words are up behind me. and um, So we're going to read it together. Particularly we're going to be focusing on verses 5 and 6 this morning. But why don't we, we read it now. David writes this. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, so far as we've been talking about this psalm, we've been focused on this idea that that God is our good shepherd and that he has everything that we need, and who he promises to, to lead us, and guide us, and restore, and refresh us, and protect us, and take care of us, and he has everything that we need if we will simply choose to be his sheep. If we will recognize that we can't do it on our own, that we need help, and then allow Jesus to be our shepherd, the one who we put our trust in and follow. And and I love this imagery of the shepherd and the sheep. But in in verses 5 and 6, the imagery shifts, it changes. Suddenly the picture that David is is painting isn't of a shepherd and his sheep anymore, but it's of a host and his guests coming round to his house. And it is like David thinks that as good as the picture of the shepherd and his sheep was, it just can't quite capture it all. It can't quite get the, the full picture. There's something which is missing in it. And so he needs to turn to this new imagery, this new picture of the, of the host with his guests in order to kind of get that bit which is missing. And in order to give us a, something of a fuller picture of the goodness of God 
and what it looks like to live life with him. And David, he begins by saying, you prepare a table before me. And what he means by that is, is not that he gets out the Ikea flat pack furniture and starts to build it and prepare it in front of David. You know, what he means is that God is preparing a meal. He's preparing a, a banquet before us. You know, in, in many ways, that you, in your first read that, it just simply seems like David's reinforcing the, the idea of how the shepherd provides for his sheep. He gives us the things that we need and he refreshes us and strengthens us. And there's this banquet of refreshing and, and everything that we need there. You know, but there's something more here. That when you understand David's kind of context and his culture is even more staggering. You see, in David's culture, the host may be the one who is putting on the feast. He may be the one who invites the people, but he wouldn't be the one who prepared the table. He wouldn't be the one who served the food. That would be the job of the servants. You know, the the kind of modern day equivalent would be someone like the queen or a, a head of state hosting this formal banquet and inviting all the people along. And what you'd expect is that queen will, will go out of her way and she'll do the meet and the greet and she'll talk to people and make everybody welcome. But you wouldn't expect the queen to be the one dashing in and out of the kitchen, preparing the food at the same time and laying the table out and, and serving people. You know, it wouldn't be her role to do that. And if she was, do you know what? I reckon something inside of you would probably rise up to say, you shouldn't be doing that. What are you doing? That's not your job. You're, you should be the one who is being honoured. You should be the one who, who, who we're all looking to. You should have servants who are running around after you. This isn't your job. Where are the servants? And yet that's exactly the picture that David's painting here. He's saying that not only does God provide for us and make sure we have everything we need, but actually he chooses to take on the role of a servant for us. Just think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, the one who is worthy of all honor, sees our needs and chooses to prepare a table before us, tailor-made just with what we need on it. And then he serves us. You know, when you think of God, I don't know how you initially think of him. I don't know what your primary way is of thinking of God and relating to him. You know, we we find in the Bible that he's our our king and our master, that he's our Lord, that he's our heavenly father, he's our loving savior, he's our friend. You know, I don't know which of of those identities, which of those kind of ideas, or maybe others that you have that come to mind as your kind of primary way of thinking of God and, and relating to him. But you know, the reality is that the way in which we think about God will impact the way that we relate to him. The way that you pray, the way that you approach the situations you face in life and the expectations that you have. You know, and it can be easy to begin to get kind of lopsided in the way that we view God. So to lose sight of his his lordship and his majesty and his holiness. And the danger then is that, that we begin to lose the respect and the awe that we should have for God. And we begin to think that our behavior doesn't really matter. We can do what we like. Or we lose sight of his love and his mercy and his grace. 
And then it can be easy without even realizing it to begin to approach God thinking that he's, he's saying things like, come and serve me and do this and do that. And then maybe if you match up, you'll be accepted. You need to earn the right to be called my child. You know, it can be easy to start to see God as a, as a policeman and as a harsh judge and to feel crippled by guilt. And then as we do that, more often than not, we'll start to judge others just as harshly. You know, but the wonderful truth that we find here in Psalm 23, the picture that it gives us is that when we approach God, we find him saying, I've prepared a table for you. I've seen your need and I've prepared everything that I can and I've come to serve you. You know, the incredible truth is that as we make Jesus our good shepherd, as David talks about in this whole kind of first section of the psalm, as we make him our Lord, our King, our Master, the one who we're following, that we are putting him in that position as the Lord and the King and the Master whose heart is to serve us. Whose heart is to love us and care for us and provide for us. You know, and then it gets even better as David says, you anoint my head with oil, my, my cup overflows. You know, and in David's culture, this would have been the kind of supreme act of hospitality. This would be VIP treatment. This is what you'd do if an honored guest was coming and you wanted to go above and beyond and pull out all the stops and spare no expense. Is that amazing that that's the way that God wants to relate to you? You know, when an honoured guest arrived, they would typically do three things. They'd wash their feet as a sign of courtesy and interest in the guest's welfare. They'd anoint them with oil as a sign of their love and respect for the guest. And then they would give them a cup of wine which they would carefully fill until it actually ran over. As their way of showing that as long as the guest stayed in their house, they would have an abundance of everything that the host could provide. And this is a picture of God's heart for you. He sees your needs and he wants to look after your welfare and care for you. He is moved by his love to anoint you, to pour out his spirit upon you so that you would know the joy of his presence. And in everything, he wants you to know that he has an abundance for you. That his riches never run out. He doesn't skimp. His blessings never run dry. Your cup will never be empty. It will overflow. That's God's heart for you. As your king, as your lord, as your master. His heart is that you would know life and life in its fullness. And he is willing to, to serve you so that that can be the case. Isn't that amazing? And then there's this little statement that always stands out to me in this part of the psalm. And it always just seems to jar. David writes, not only that God prepares a table for him, but that he does it in the presence of his enemies. And that sounds pretty strange, doesn't it? Who wants to have a lavish meal with their enemies sat around them? Who can relax and enjoy eating when they're surrounded by people who at any moment they know could attack them or mock them? You know, this beautiful picture of God's abundant provision and blessing seems almost tarnished by the presence of God's enemies. How does it fit? 
You know, our idea of, of blessing and provision is often that all of our problems will be dealt with. And everything that's against us will be removed. You know, so often we feel like we need to get away from our problems in order to, to know peace and joy. We need to escape from, from our problems in order to be able to rest. And I think this is a big part of, of what's, what's led for us to be the kind of culture with an escapist mentality. You know, where we can, we, anything that happens in life that we don't like or, or things that we're struggling with, we feel like in order to, to be refreshed, in order to, to be able to, to kind of get through, we need to escape from it. And so we escape with things like alcohol or drugs, but we also we escape with things like relationships. We escape into work. We escape into exercise and sport and, and being driven in those kind of things. We escape into distractions like TV and games and books and all different kinds of entertainment. We feel like in order to rest and be refreshed and enjoy life, we need to escape from the problems and our troubles and our enemies, and we need to have a time when we can simply forget about them. So how does this idea of, of God's provision and blessing and rest and refreshment fit with being in the presence of our enemies? And the thing is that in David's day, a host responsibility went beyond just providing a meal and making a guest welcome and giving them what they need. The host was also responsible for the safety and welfare of the people who were in his home. And so this picture of eating in the presence of enemies is a picture of such complete trust and confidence in the host that David knows he doesn't have to fear. He doesn't have to be afraid. Even with enemies around him, he can rest. You see, the promise of of Jesus isn't that as you follow God, you'll never face any problems. That it will, life will just be one big long bank, banquet of blessings. You know, you will face struggles and difficulties and you might feel like people are against you. You maybe even feel like you're against yourself sometimes. As you struggle with this internal battle with insecurity or this internal battle with temptation or this internal battle with questions and doubts or whatever it might be. And what we see here is that God's response isn't to simply pluck you out of that and take you then and plonk you over here in happy land. To insulate you away from anything or any person who might antagonize you or be against you. The promise of of Jesus and the power of your shepherd is that he prepares a table for you. He prepares the provision of everything that you need. And he invites you to sit down at the table with him. And to enjoy his presence in the middle of the battle. In the middle of the enemies. God wants to bring you to a place where whatever is going on around you, Whatever challenges or difficulties you face, your soul can be at rest with him. That you would know that you can trust your heavenly father. You can trust your host to protect you. To provide everything you need so that the enemy, he can prowl around like a lion looking to to still kill, kill and destroy. But you can be at rest. You can eat, you can be refreshed and restored, you can enjoy God's presence and nothing can rob you of that.
You can receive from him everything you need, even in that kind of a moment. You have an invitation from Jesus to sit down with him right now, no matter what is happening and what is going on in your life. And to realize that he has prepared a table for you. It's got everything you need on it. It's got an abundance of provision. He can and he will look after you. You can trust him. Do you know that one of the things that struck me as I was getting ready for today is that you have a choice whose table you sit at. Now God has prepared this amazing, lavish feast of provision for us and he's inviting us to, to come and sit with him. But as we think about enemies, I think it's almost like Satan sees what good God does and says, I'm going to beat him at his own game. And so he prepares a table for us too. And on the surface, it looks like it's covered in good things. The food is attractive and it's tempting and it smells good. But when we bite into it, it is bitter and poisonous. You see, one of the things that we discover in the Bible is that ultimately all of our struggles are not just against flesh and blood and against the kind of natural, logical things that we can explain things away with, that we see around us. But they're against spiritual powers and authorities and they're against Satan himself who Jesus said's whole purpose is to come to kill, steal and destroy. And so as you are going through life, Satan is prowling around like a lion. And he is looking for a little crack. Just a little crack in your thinking or your character or your relationships. And when he finds that crack, he tries to worm his way in. And he does that by inviting you to come and and sit at his table. He does that by making this offer and this promise to you that looks so attractive and looks like it will solve all your problems and and looks like it will provide that escape and that moment of relief. But his purpose isn't to refresh you or to give your life to the full. It's to steal, it's to kill, and it's to destroy, it's to take you out. And so he makes the table as attractive as possible. And then when you sit down with him and you eat from his table, his voice gets a foothold in your life. And then you begin to realize the bitterness and the poison as he whispers to you things like, you'll never be free of this. You'll never change. You don't deserve anything better anyway. You were never any good. I don't even know why you think God would want to take care of you. How could he forgive you now? You know everyone is against you, right? You know people can't stand you. They don't really like you. You know that person, how could they do that? How could they say that? They're disgusting. You need to get back at them. They need to get what they deserve. You know the food at at Satan's table, it may look attractive, but if you choose to sit there, you will find that it fills you with fear and doubt and insecurity. It fills you with hate and anger and bitterness and it slowly cripples you from the inside out. And if these are the kind of thoughts that you've been battling with, I want to tell you today that they are the lies of the enemy whose sole purpose is to take you out. And the truth that we find here in Psalm 23 is that our good shepherd is telling us something very different. 
The voice of our good shepherd is never like that. And it tells us something so different. We discover that we are loved and we are cared for. And that he invites us to to be his, his precious sheep who he leads and he guides and he protects. And then he invites us into his home to be his honoured guests. That God will never leave us or forsake us. That he has everything that we need to be set free of anything. To come through any situation. That he promises to lead us and guide us. And instead of looking to take us out, he is the good shepherd who lays down his life so that we can have life in all its fullness. You have the power today to choose whose table you are going to sit at. And you can exercise that power by standing against the enemy, standing against his lies and saying, I don't want to be at your table anymore. I'm choosing to go and sit at the table of my loving heavenly father. And when you do that, the enemy might still prowl around. You can't stop him from prowling. There will be times when you're still conscious that it seems like you're in the presence of enemies and he's prowling around and he's there. But he has no influence in your life or control over you because you are sat at the table. And your host is your heavenly father. And he has everything you need. You can rest in his presence no matter what. So when you're feeling the pressure and things are getting hard or someone does something that upsets you and there is that crack, that moment of vulnerability, the enemy is going to try and take advantage of that moment to tempt you. To tempt you to come to his table. And so in that moment, remind yourself whose table you already sat at. And say to the enemy, in Jesus' name, be gone. I don't want a seat at your table. And God's promise is that as you do that, as you submit to him, as you choose to be at his table and allow him to be your shepherd, allow him to be your host, and then you resist the enemy, he will flee from you. And then David finishes with these beautiful words. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, as we think about God as the great host who invites us into his house, I almost get the picture of these these two footmen, goodness and love, who, who follow the guest around taking care of their every need, opening the doors and helping them into the carriage and, you know, bringing them the food, breakfast in bed and and this goodness and love just kind of following you around the house and looking after you. Wherever we go, even when we step away from the table of God's presence, of God's provision, that God searches us out, he follows us. His goodness and love, they pursue us, they chase after us. You know, God reaches out to us where we are at to put his care for us into action. And he draws us back again and again and again to him. And I love this because it means that I can have a confidence and you can have a confidence that, that whatever you, wherever you are at, whatever mistakes you make, even when you step away from the table, whatever we do in life, God is there for us. 
He is ready to forgive. He's ready to, to help us up. He's ready to lift us up. He's ready to provide and to draw us back to him. And as I look over my own life, I am so thankful that God has pursued me with his goodness and his love. That he hasn't just left me and written me off when I've done stupid things. When I've gone my own way, when I've done things I know are wrong, when I've rejected him. That even in those times, he has pursued me and chased after me and he's followed me with his goodness and his love. That's a great, great promise for each of us this morning. Wherever you are, even if you don't feel like you're at the table, even if you don't feel like you can come to God's table, God is following after you. He's chasing after you. He's pursuing you with his goodness and his love. His heart is to be close to you and to protect you, to care for you, to be in relationship with you. And he is just waiting for you to accept his invitation. So as we come to the end of this psalm, I want to encourage you simply to to respond to God's invitation. He is inviting you to be his sheep and to allow him to be your good shepherd. And he's also inviting you to be his guest. And to allow him to be the perfect host. To refresh you and strengthen you and provide for everything you need. To protect you and give you peace and rest no matter what is going on in life. And it's an offer as we read from David that doesn't just last for today. It's an offer that goes on for every day of life and into eternity forever. You know, it may be that as I've I've taught this morning, you've realized that in one area of your life or another, you've somehow ended up sat at the wrong table. At your enemy's table. And it's time for that to change. It's time to say no to the thoughts that you've been battling with and to recognize how the effect they are having on you is only to rob you of the life that God intends for you. Maybe it's felt like you've looked around and all the dishes on the table are empty and you feel abandoned and it creates this crack And the enemy's taken advantage of it. Now, if that's the case, then I want to encourage you to make a decision this morning to to come away from Satan's table and to sit down with Jesus. To allow him to speak his truth into your heart, that you are his precious child, who he loves, that he will never abandon and he will never leave. That he is with you in every moment and he will lead you through every situation. That he will set you free and he will bring you life. Maybe that you realize that actually the crack that you've had that has allowed the enemy to have his influence isn't just your thinking, but actually it's come through sitting down with a particular person. And that person always drags you down and speaks words of defeat and leaves you feeling trapped and helpless again. Or maybe it's come through a TV series or books that you've been reading. And in order to to leave the enemy's table, it's actually going to take you doing something practical. To make a practical change. To come away from those kind of influences. You know, whatever it looks like for you, if that's something that you want to do, then as a sign that you are getting up from the enemy's table, and you are moving to come and sit down at God's table, 
I want to encourage you in a few moments when the band come to play just to, to do something physical as a sign that something is really happening. You know, whether that be kneeling where you are, whether that be coming to the front, whatever it is, just to respond in some kind of physical way to say, God, I am getting up off of the enemy's table. I want nothing to do with it anymore. And I am sitting down at your table. I'm putting my trust in you. I know you have what I need. The dishes aren't empty. There's a feast you've got for me. Give me what I need this morning, Lord. Speak your truth into my heart this morning. Refresh and renew and strengthen me this morning because I need you. Maybe that you feel like you've been away from God and that you've felt distant from him. Maybe you've never made a decision to trust him at all. And if that's the case, then let me encourage you that God is pursuing you this morning with his goodness and his love. He is reaching out to you and inviting you to come into his house, to enter into his presence today. And if that's you, then let me encourage you not to miss this opportunity, to respond to God and to accept him as your shepherd and as your host, to accept him as your king and your Lord. But your king and your Lord whose heart is to serve you and to give you life to the full. And if that's something you want to do today, then we would love to, to give you a little book called Why Jesus. So I encourage you after the service, please come and, and speak to me or there'll be some guys here at the front who'd love to pray for you. Or speak to the person who invited you along today so they can pray for you. And, um, and then we'll get you one of those books so you can find out more about this Jesus who's making this invitation. If the band want to come up, I'm going to pray. And... Um, We're just going to finish by fixing our eyes on God. I just want to encourage you to allow this to be a time where God ministers to you, where he serves you. Where you're able to eat from his table and receive what you need this morning.